Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So Christmas playlist. We are starting a brand new series today called Christmas Playlist. Anyone love Christmas music? Come on now. How many of you are like, you, played, you started playing Christmas music in like September? You're the kind of people that we want to get you saved. We need to have an altar call, get you down here, cast that devil of Santa, of St. Nick out of you and get you saved. <laughs> now, how many of you though, you are like, you, like, you don't like, it's Christmas time, but you don't want Christmas music playing in your car at all? Okay, we got some Grinches here. Okay, we got some Santa Claus lovers and some Grinches here. Well, uh, we are starting a new series today called Christmas Playlist. And, you know, this song here, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, it's one of the most famous ones, man. It started by Andy Williams back in like the like thing, late 50s, early, six, early 60s. I think some of you might have been around for that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's all good. Um, but, you know, this song says a lot of different things about this year. Kids jingle, belling, everyone telling you be a good cheer, parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, caroling out in the snow, scary, I don't know what, scary ghost stories. That's kind of weird. Like, they maybe got, they, they got Halloween and that song a little mixed up. I, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, much mistletoeing with your wives, men, no other women. Uh, hearts will be glowing, loved ones are new. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? So this is supposed to be a time of joy, of fun, fam- family, food, gifts, Christmas lights, events going on. It's supposed to be a wonderful time. Uh, but it's really funny whenever you go on online or, or scroll through Facebook or something like that to, to see these kinds of posts out, out there. Put up the, the first one. Why does depression tend to increase during the holidays? You kind of like see that where in the midst of many of our joy, in the midst of our family times, there are people out, out there that actually see Christmas and actually associate it uh, with, with being a really depressing time because it brings up many times what they don't have, right? Also, too, this one here, um, how to survive family Christmas. This article was my favorite <laughs> because it gives you 10 tips on how to survive your family at Christmas. I'm like, if you've got to survive your family at Christmas, there's issues, right? Like, if, if, if you go to your family and you are like, I'm going to survive this. Like, this isn't going to be a wonderful time of the year. This is actually going to be, be me something that I'm going to have to survive. And I just want to give you some of, some of these tips that I think are just great. All right, first off, one, stay at a, stay at a hotel. It's one of the tips that they give. Stay at a hotel. Secondly, Food and alcohol are great tranquilizers. That's what they say in this. They're like, to numb the pain of being with your family, I'll just take a shot. <laughs> I'm not saying to do that. So don't send me emails. Don't post on Facebook. Don't tell us to take shots. I'm just saying what this article says. All right, then also you spend time reflecting on your tribal ancestors. <laughs> this is what's in this article. I don't even know what that means. And then, and then this is the best one. Pretend everyone is dead and you're in a dream. So to survive your family Christmas, pretend everyone is dead and that you're in a dream. What unique advice. 
That's life-giving. It's the most wonderful time of the year. This, this article was actually pretty good, too. I think we got one more, do we? How to survive Christmas holiday that's as stressful as moving home or getting a divorce. So there was actually a study done in Britain and surveyed 2,000 people that actually said Christmas season for many people is just as stressful as moving or getting a divorce. One of the actual quotes in this said, although the holiday season is supposed to be a wonderful time for many, it's actually the most stressful time of the year. End of year deadlines are looming. Kids are overexcited. Christmas shopping is anything but relaxing. And there's immense pressure for everything to be picture perfect. It's no wonder some people rate the run-up to Christmas as more stressful than moving or going through a divorce. It's the most <laughs> wonderful time of the year. So I don't, I don't know how you're viewing Christmas. I have no idea what this season brings on for you, whether, whether you're excited for it or whether you're stressed out for it. But I believe this. The, the song really does ring true that it, it should be, it really is one of the most wonderful times of the year. But many times it's wonderful for the wrong reasons, or we think it should be wonderful for many of the wrong reasons. Now, what I've seen for Christmas in the Christian realm, in the church realm, is, you, is many times you have like two camps. Two camps of folk where you have those that are, are like Christmas is a pagan holiday. It's based on an ancient pagan tradition. And do you know what? We shouldn't, I can't believe we actually celebrate this. I can't believe we actually dive in. We got people laughing. They're like, me. You know, it's like, I can't believe we celebrate this. We put up lights and we do all of, all of this stuff that, you know, St. Nicholas, like he, I mean, who's that guy? Santa Claus, he knows what you're doing, knows if you're naughty or nice, what a creeper. It's like, so, you know, when you find everything about Christmas that you just don't like and you've got people in the, the church like that, but then you've, then you've got people that are so excited about Christmas and it's Christmas music, lights and reindeers and, and Christmas events that, that they totally lose the whole purpose of Christmas. Like they are so locked into the Christmas cheer and Christmas festivities that they actually lose the whole reason and purpose of Christmas. So I feel like you've got two camps here, kind of two extremes here. And what I want to fight for today and challenge us with is that both of those ideas, um, I, I think there is kind of a third option that we can take to bring Christmas back from, yes, okay, look, it, 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 this is going to blow some of y'all's mind. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Some of y'all are like, are you serious? My parents lied to me. Right? Christmas is a created season. I mean, really, there, there's nothing that, says, that actually says scientifically, like, this is when Jesus was born. Jesus didn't have a birth certificate. There's nothing in the Gospels that said Jesus was specifically born on this day, at this time, at this, you know, play. I mean, I mean, there are accounts of him being born, but as far as the specific day, no one actually knows. So actually, Christmas is a created season, and some, and some of it mixes in with the culture. Some of it mixes in with the church, and in the span of 1,500, 1,800 years, we've created this holiday called Christmas that we now find ourselves being either the benefactor of or the slave of, right? It's kind of like, what, what do we do with it? And the church has struggled with what do we do with it? And possibly you have been there too. How do you, how do you actually handle this? 
And I believe this, whenever it comes to things in culture, right, you're going to have things in, in culture that, that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you're going to have to decide how you're going to handle it. You're, you're going to have to decide, are we going to take this cultural thing and are we going to, three things, ready? Receive it, reject it, or redeem it. Got those three R's. Receive it, reject it, or redeem it, right? So, so look, you've got people that let's receive Christmas. It's let's the lights, the consumerism, the money. Let's just spend money. And I, I mean, I mean, I, you know what? I thought about this. It's kind of a side note, okay? Like why I'm always broke. Like I made a list of like all the things that my family celebrates. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you got Valentine's Day. You got Easter. You got my son's birthday thrown in there. Then you got Mother's Day. Then you got my other kid's birthday thrown in there. You got my anniversary. You got my birthday, my wife's birthday, back to school, Halloween, Thanksgiving, weddings. No wonder. Have you ever wondered why I ain't got no money? You ever wonder why you ain't got no money? I'm sorry, that's a side note. I'm just ranting now. No, but back to it, right, where we have to say, what are we going to do with this thing in culture? This Christmas season, are we going to receive it, reject it, or are we going to redeem it? Okay, so those that are, that are kind of, of, of in the, the receiving crowd, they take Christmas, all of it, walk, you know, and it's, kind of, and it's kind of like everything to them, and we can easily lose the purpose of it. But at the same time, if you reject it, you're saying, oh, it's just a pagan, holo, you know, a pagan holiday. We're not going to do nothing with it. Or what we can do, what, what I believe the power of the gospel does is it takes something and redeems it for its original purpose. And here's the thing, right? Whenever you redeem something, it is for your good and for God's glory, right? So look, we could say something like, you know, technology really isn't in the Bible. Like, the internet isn't in the Bible. So as Christians, we have to say, are we going to receive it, reject it, or are we going to redeem it? I'm not going to use internet. No. I want Christian internet from Christian providers. You know, it's, it's just, it's, that's just not a, right? That's just not logical, right? You could reject it. Oh, we're not going to be about that. That, that crazy internet life, it's just 666. It's just, it's just the government wanting to impede our privacy and just get all over us. Or you could say, hey, look, the internet at its core can be used for good and bad. It can be used for pornography or gospel expansion. So are we going to throw it out simply because it's, it can be used for bad, or are we going to take it and use it for our good and for God's glory? So that's what I... That is what I'm fighting for in this Christmas season, is to see this. This could be a season for you to redeem this Christmas season, to use it for your good and for God's glory. How can you use it for your good? Three different ways. Personal growth, lavish generosity, and gospel expansion. You can take Christmas and use it as a time and season where our culture, like our godless culture, takes a season and focuses on the birth of Christ. I'm like, I think any time that our culture focuses on anything related to Jesus, even if his birthday wasn't on the 25th, even if they've kind of hijacked his birth and made it a time to just be a Black Friday and consume and just get more, hey, 
I get it. But at the same time, if there's a time in our culture that is focused on Jesus, I want to say instead of cursing culture, how can we take it and use it and point people to the real reason behind Christmas? Right? But at the same time, I want it to also be a time for personally to say, how can I take Christmas and use it as a time for me to personally grow? Because I don't, Christmas at its core is about Jesus being born. It's about God in the form of a man coming and, and, and literally taking on human flesh and coming and, and basically encountering a human life. I don't know about you, but when it's March outside, I'm not like walking around, man, God came to man. God came to earth as a baby. Wow. When it's October or September, I'm not subconsciously walking around my house and my neighborhood thinking about the incarnation of Christ. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Why? Because I probably should, but at the same time, it's, it's just because... Life gets really, really busy. Life happens. Yes, I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing all those things. But now we have a whole season dedicated to being focused on this idea that God became a man. I think for our personal growth, it would benefit us to take a season and a time to focus on the fact that God became man and all of the implications that that, that, that has for us. So it can be used for our personal growth, but at the same time, it can be used for lavish generosity. This is a time to be generous and give. And just in the same way God has given to you to give to others, to be generous, this whole daddy's hands thing, that is this one aspect, right? But, but it's like of saying, how can we take this season and use it? Why? Because we're so consumed all throughout the year. Get more, get more, get more, get more. This is a season to say, how can we give more? So we can leverage this, this season for us for Personal growth, lavish generosity, and here's the thing, gospel expansion. Why? Because there's going to be people walking into this church on Christmas Eve's Eve that won't come to a church, maybe Easter, but no other time period. And so as a church, we are going to, to leverage that and preach the gospel and share with them the real reason for the season isn't what they get, it's what God gave. So look, that's why we've got three opportunities for you. We want you to be praying for friends and family. The, you can not only invite, but bring them, and you can trust us knowing they're not gonna see anything crazy or weird, or you're not gonna have sister so-and-so prophesying down on the front and knocking people over and praying for people. It's like, they're gonna come and they're gonna hear the gospel preached, the gospel spoken, and they're gonna hear the real reason for the season. We want you to trust us knowing if you bring your friends and family what they're gonna get, right? So, but here's the thing, Christmas is a, is, is a season. It's a time period dedicated and set aside, created by somewhat of the church and somewhat of culture for us to focus on Jesus. And kind of in this whole thing of it, it's a season for us to, for, to personally grow, I want to kind of give you three, three, three things that, that you can do to help you leverage this season that we're in Christmas for, for your good and for your growth and that through you, God can actually work and, and move through you being the hands and feet of Jesus in this Christmas season. First off, I think this is a season of reflection. 
Whereas as the people of God, we need to take some time. And, and I, I, I know like, John, are you serious? Like really take time during this craziness and business season, a parties go on and all this thing. Like, I don't know how you got to do it, whether it's riding to work or whether it's walking your dog or whether it, like whatever you have to do to take some time. Maybe it's just Sunday mornings here where you take time to reflect on the Christmas season of what it actually means. John 1.14, man, the, this is the apostle John. He talks about this whole idea that the word, God, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we've seen his glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Message version, I love this version. It kind of takes that and expounds on it some. It says, the word became flesh and blood. God became man and moved into the neighborhood. I love that terminology. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Like my prayer for you is that during this season, you would take time to reflect on the fact that God became a man, but not just what happened, because I think many times, we, oh yeah, God became a man. Okay, okay, great. Awesome, great. Give me something more spiritual, John. Need something a little more spiritual. Some, a tad bit more Stephen Furtick-y. Okay, come on, give me, give, me, give, me, give me something better, right? Like, give me something better than that, right? Like, like, God became a man awesome. Many times we focus on the what instead of focusing on the why. We can focus on the what, yeah, God became a man, but, many, but rarely do we actually take time to focus and reflect on why God had to become a man. Why he did that. And why he did that, it's pretty much the Bible. God created man and woman in this beautiful place, put them down. He was ruling and reigning over them. They were in, Adam and Eve were in perfect perfection. They were in, they were, they, they were naked in a garden with food and freedom. And then they went and did what they wanted to do. They, they sinned of, uh, of the term that we call sin. And sin is simply this, you doing what you think is best over what God sees as being best. They sinned, and from that moment, there has been a separation. There's been a separation between God and man. Sin not only separates you from God, but you can see sin separates us from each other. Sin, you can see sin happened in the garden, separated the, the relationship with them and God, but then it separated them from, from each other. And this whole path and journey that you see throughout Scripture is this whole path and journey of man and God trying to re connect and, and Israel's story you can see they tried to have kings and tried to have prophets and tried to have all of these different ways to get to God but God was still in many ways distant so what you actually see here Hebrews chapter 1 can we actually pull that up Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 1 please do we have that we do okay great Hebrews chapter 1. It says this here. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's talking about now. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful 
words. So God basically said, look, there is this big chasm and there's nothing that man can do to bridge this gap that, that is possibly there. So what did God do? Instead of being distant, instead of being far off, instead of saying, man, fend for yourself, he said, no, I'm gonna go down. I'm not gonna be distant no more. I'm gonna come down and dwell in a body, dwell in, 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 in a flesh just like these people. And Jesus is gonna live the life that they could not live, die the death that they should have died in their place and for their sin and be the sacrifice for sin to atone for their sins. And what we see there, what did that do? for us. It brought us near to God. And what does that do for us, right? It's like, isn't it the most annoying thing to have someone try to help you through something they've never been through? Like, isn't that the most annoying thing? Like, you, you, you got your good friend here trying to tell you about relationships, and they've had three, three divorces. And not saying that they can't help you. And I tell you, they can't help you from their, from their stuff. They can give you stuff of saying, hey, don't don't do this, do this, but at the same time, you want someone that's been where you are, that's gone through what you've gone through, to be your help and to be the one giving you advice and coming alongside you to help you, right? Like if, if you want to lose weight, you know, you need to go to someone that looks like they've smoked what they've sold. Not, not meaning like actual smoke, but like they're doing what they're telling you. Like what they're gonna tell you is actually working, right? So when God became a man, what that did is, is now, you know, Scripture tells us, Hebrews 4, we don't have someone that just says, well, I don't know what it feels like to have someone you love turn their back on you. I don't know what it feels like to have someone that you love close to you die, Lazarus. said Jesus wept. His closest friends, his disciples, turned his back on him. Hebrews 4 tells us this, we do not have a high priest. We don't have somebody over us who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way we have, yet was without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God not only came down to save us from, from our sin, but he came down to be our, sus, to be our sus, uh, I can't say, sustenance. He came down to be our sustainer. He came down and, and, and said, look, I've walked where you're at. I've been where you are. Now, because I've been where you're at, call on me. I'll help through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Isn't it just so good to have someone that's been where you are that you can know? He's just not some God barking out orders. He's just not some God saying, just do this. So God is saying, look, I've been where you are. He can empathize with our weaknesses. And I think if we're not careful, if we don't set aside time to reflect, we will actually miss this. We will actually miss the fact of what Jesus did. In this book here, Philippians 2, I just believe it's a beautiful representation. Paul says, says this message version, he says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what, not at all. When the time came, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is what Jesus did. This is what it took. This is not just what Jesus, God became a man, awesome. No, why he did it. He came to do what you could not do. 
He came, and that is why every super, you know, superhero story is basically a microchasm of the gospel. Every superhero story is basically the, the gospel story. I believe every gospel story is basically the, the, the root and genesis of every good superhero story. Why? Because the superhero story is basically what? Someone comes down, saves, and brings everyone up, and that is the gospel story. C.S. Lewis said, said this. He said, the son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. When you think not just what Christ did, but why Christ did it, he came down to do what you could not do, to get you to a place that you could not get by yourself, on your own merit because of your good works. Philip Yancey said this. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. We, y'all, we need to take some time and reflect on this season, not just what happened, but why it happened. And this will be such a season for you to focus on and grow in who God is and what God's like. Secondly, though, I think we need a season of perspective. Christmas isn't just a good time to reflect, but it's a good time to gain perspective. I mean, when you just think about the Christmas story, Matthew 1, we're just going to kind of read this here. You know, put yourself in the story. I think that's a huge thing for us is put, giving us perspective to see something from someone else's viewpoint. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want exposure to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to her son and you are to give him the name Jesus. I mean, you know, when you just think about the perspective here of being in Mary's shoes, like imagine being a teenage girl and an angel shows up to you and says, you're gonna birth God. She had the response many times that we have, like, are you crazy? Like, are, what, what does it mean? And said, you found favor with God. You found favor. That word favor there actually means grace. It's, it, it, was, it was basically Gabriel telling her, there's nothing you've done to earn this. You've been chosen. It wasn't because Mary was better than everybody. It's not because Mary had put more stars on her chart when she was in school. It's not like Mary had lived such a great life that they said, you're going to be the one that's, that's going to carry Jesus. It said, you, you've been given favor. You've been given grace, unearned favor, unearned grace. Even that, even that declaration to her is what the gospel is all about. We can't earn it. We can't earn our way to, to God. He chooses us. So what we see here is Mary being told this. Mary, I mean, just imagine, ladies, you're a teenager, like, just imagine in that culture, being a pregnant teen, unwed, the shame that that could have been. I mean, just, just imagine being pregnant now in this culture, the shame that you feel, the shame that you would feel walking around your stomach, you look like you're 13, you're, you're 13, 14 years old. Imagine being Joseph, dudes. Like, your girl comes to you and is like, yo, I'm pregnant. And you like, but we didn't. 
Who's the guide? Oh, no, it, it was the Holy Spirit. Like, I've heard a lot of excuses, girl, but I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I've never heard that one. I've heard a lot of excuses, but now she's busting out the Holy Spirit. Being pregnant. Are you kidding me? Right? So, so just, but just the complete insanity that it would seem of this story that God would choose to go this route instead of having a huge festive Macy's Day parade to bring about the Son of God, where it was done in such humble beginnings. It was done in such a humble way. It was done in such a way that we, if we were probably looking at it and judging it, we would say, there's no way that could be God. And I think it teaches us many times that we need to be careful to put God in, that we don't put God in a box and say God should work according to how we think he should work. Because many times in our lives, the way that God works looks a lot like the birth story of Jesus. A lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of humility, a lot of almost like what in the world is going on. And I believe if we dismiss times like that in our life, we'll actually miss God. Because we can see in the birth story, God doesn't always work and move to how we want him to. Many times we have to find God within our story and find what God's doing and ask him to make us aware of what he's already up to, right? So look, we gotta put ourselves, but, but, but this is a season for us to put ourselves in this story and gain perspective. Also though, I believe this is a season, if we let it, that it could be a season of revelation. A season of revelation. Season of revelation. Revelation's different in this, in this particular way. Revelation means revealed knowledge. It doesn't mean earned knowledge. It doesn't mean studied knowledge. It doesn't mean you 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 know the the you read so many books that you just gained smarts. Revelation is revealed knowledge where God shows something to you and reveals something to you that you could not have studied, that you could not have just gotten on your own merit. And look, I believe Christmas time is a season. If, if we do the right things, if we put ourselves in, the, in a conducive atmosphere, we will see Jesus and have Jesus revealed to us in a whole new way if we let him. Right? I, don't, I don't know about you, but some of the most incredible things that God has shown me have been times where it has just been like the clouds have parted, and it's like, oh, that's what God was saying. That's what God was doing. And I've been studying so hard and praying hard, and it was just like God at the right time, whenever he wanted to, revealed it to me. And look, guys, I believe Christmas, if we let it, it can be a season where you see Jesus in a whole new way. Because, look, the bottom line of the whole Christian faith, guys, is, is Jesus. Have you ever seen whenever the church makes Christianity about anything else, like it's terrible? You know, Christianity without Christ is terrible. Like, have you ever seen churches and, and, and Christians be about everything but Jesus? And they make it about secondary issues and stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't mean a thing. 
And that's why, guys, we can't miss, during this Christmas season, we can't miss the big E on the I chart. The big E on the I chart is Jesus. He is the reason. And we have to say, God, show us more. In this season, show us more who God is and what God's like. Jesus, show me more about who you are and what you're like and how you work how, and how you speak and how you move. Jesus, I want to make it about you this season. And that's my prayer for you, is that this would be a season of, of reflection, of perspective, of revelation for you. And do you know what? I was thinking about how in the world do we actually see all the time? Because I could give you do this and do that, and, you know, here's one, here's three different ways to kind of do the same. But you know what? When I thought about it, how do we make guardrails in, in this season to make it for our good and for God's glory, guardrails to actually redeem it? I felt like God told me this, which I, I didn't want to say, but I kind of felt needed to. It, it, it's this word tradition, Like, I, I don't like that word. I'll just be honest with you. Like, tr- tr- like my whole life, I've, I've been, like, trying to fight against tradition. I've been trying to fight against this whole, you know, I'm 25 in the church. I, wanna do, I don't want to do anything the church has done in the past. We're doing, God's doing a new thing. And I, and I just want to do something new. Forget tradition. We're going to do something new. But what I just felt God tell me was religion is doing things with no meaning. Tradition is doing things full of meaning. Where we can, um, it's a saying, I'm just repenting here, where we can almost look at things from, from the past and just say, well, because they're older, they're, they're not useful. Give you an example. Right? I used to always joke on people, Christians, Catholics, that did this. Because I was like, they're so religious. Just religious, we're just doing that. It's just, just, you, know, you know, you got baseball hitter Sammy Sosa, he hit a home run. He get up to bat, you know, and he's like, you know, doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, what in the world are they it's just so showy, you know? It's like so, like, traditional. Like, what in the world? And, and then kind of what started as a joke for me has actually turned into something extremely meaningful where I will randomly catch myself going like that. And... The reason why is because I'm, I'm actually thinking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what I find, it almost centers me. It, it almost, like in the midst of chaos, reminds me who my God is. And what almost for me was a joke has now almost become a tradition that centers me. And that's what I think tradition ultimately does, is it, is it centers us. Traditions, if used the right way, for the right reasons, can actually for us act as guardrails to keep us on purpose and to keep us doing things, not just doing the right things, but doing them for the right reasons. 
religion can just be about doing the right stuff for the wrong reasons, but I think tradition, if we do the right things with the right reasons, tradition can actually act as a benefit for us and act as guardrails to keep us on the path of keeping Christmas about what it needs to be about. I'm going to have Andy come up, worship team come up, whatever. But there is this church tradition that you've probably heard of, Advent. Anybody heard of that? Advent. I'm sorry, I'm dying up here. Advent. And honestly, I just, like, I really didn't know a whole lot about Advent (laughs) until studying it this week. Like, I had heard of it and even read some calendars and even read some devotionals and stuff like that. But really, had I really dove in and looked at what does Advent actually mean? What is its actual purpose? What does it actually do? Because I just looked at it as being something traditional that more traditional older churches did. Until I actually dove, dove, uh, until I actually dove into it and, and kind of saw the purpose of the Advent time is to prepare our, not just our homes for Christmas, but to prepare our hearts for Christmas. And so, look, I believe this. If we're going to take this Christmas season and actually redeem it, and not just see it and view it as being some pagan holiday, but at the same time, not just indulging insanely and getting in credit card debt and celebrating the, the fleshly parts of, of Christmas, but, but not being a Grinch either. We need the guardrail of tradition to help us stay on path so we can redeem Christmas, so we can actually use it for our personal growth, for our good, and for God's glory. Does that make sense? And because y'all look, I don't want us to miss the power in this season. Because let's just be honest, it's so easy for us to get in the midst and get busy. And, and, you know, and I just think sometimes, I know me personally, I have missed the power of Christmas because I have not taken time to reflect, get get perspective, and get revelation that can only come from God in this season. Why? Because I need to be reminded not just what happened, but why it happened. Why God had to come in the form of a person and feel what I feel and go through and do what I could not do to earn what I could not earn. I need to be reminded of that daily. Did anyone else here? Anybody need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's what this season is, y'all. It is not just a reminder of a certain event in Christ's life. Without the incarnation, we don't have the gospel. The incarnation is God leaving his comfort and coming into our mess. It is basically him leaving heaven to come to our hell. It is him leaving glory to come into our shame. It is him leaving perfection and coming into our imperfection. If anything the, this season tells you is God stinking loves you a lot. And he showed that by not staying in heaven, but coming down and feeling what you feel and going through what you go through. Why? Because he loves you. But I believe if we're going to keep this mindset and we're going to guard ourselves from both extremes, we need something to center us. We need something to ground us. We need something that is gonna act as guardrails to this season to keep us on our path from being a Grinch and from being the crowd that thinks Santa Claus is actually real.
We need guardrails. So what my challenge is to us is like, I'm not gonna give you a prescription of saying this is how you need to do Advent or this is what it needs to stretch. Look, there's plenty of resources online. We're actually giving out Advent calendars. Kids ministry, they're gonna be giving out Advent calendars, calendars, families of how you can take your kids and walk them through this this season and little things that, that you can do to leverage this season for your good and for God's glory. Because here's the thing, I want us to be a church that takes advantage of, of this season, personally and corporately. But it's like, we're gonna grow, we're gonna get this season, the purpose and meaning of it, but at the same time, we wanna use it for gospel expansion. There's a time and season in our culture where people actually care about Jesus, most of them. So let's use it for our good and for God's glory. Amen, church? Stand up today, come on. We're gonna pray. Father, we just love you, we thank you for your goodness and grace towards us. Thank you for this time of teaching. God, that we can properly leverage and use Christmas, not as a Grinch, but not thinking Santa Claus is actually real, but we can use it and we can redeem it for our good and for your glory. So we can, Lord, use this as a season of reflection, perspective, revelation. That God, we won't just understand what happened, but why it happened. That's because, God, without a Savior, we were doomed. Without a perfect person living, we were doomed. But, God, you didn't stay distant. You came close. You entered our mess. You entered our shame. You entered our imperfection. And, Father, we just want to pause right now. And as we enter this Advent season, as today is the first day, we remember your life. We anticipate your coming. God, I pray over each mind, each heart here that as they go through this season and, and, and they're going to wrestle with and fight the craziness, the busyness. But God, I pray for them that it would be a season of perspective, that them putting themselves in the story, that it would be a season of reflecting on not just the what but the why. It would be a season of revelation, of seeing Jesus in a whole new way. Really quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, look, man, you've heard the why. Jesus came down. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you should have died in your place and for your sin. And I don't know if there's anybody out there today, you want to draw a, a line in the sand across the line of faith today and put your faith and trust in Jesus, the incarnation, God coming into flesh, God coming in, into man dying the death you you should have died rising to rising to brand new life and overcoming Satan's sin and death is the gospel story it is the good news it's not just good advice it's the good news of Jesus Christ and what scripture tells us it is it is received there's nothing you could do to actually earn it it's something you simply receive by grace through faith by grace meaning this you can't earn it you simply receive it and secondly you just put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross and look, that starts with the decision. The scripture says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look, I wanna give you the opportunity for that today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you were to say, John, I wanna put my faith and trust in Jesus today. I wanna make a decision. I've been far from God. I've been doing my own thing. And today I wanna come home. I wanna receive what 
Jesus did with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just say, John, that, that's me. I'm gonna count to you three. When I do, take your hand, put it up. I just wanna know who you are so I can pray for you. I promise we're not gonna do anything weird. I promise we're not, gonna, we're not gonna call you down. We just want to celebrate with you in the decision that you are making today. On the count of three, take your hand, put it up. Ready, one, two, three. Anyone here? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, multiple hands. Thank you, multiple hands. Let's celebrate, church. Let's celebrate those today making a decision to follow Christ. Listen, for those raised up hands, this is what we're going to do. We want to celebrate with you. We believe today is a fresh start. We believe that what you felt in your heart today is true and real. So, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to specifically lead you in prayer. All we want you to do is repeat after me. But look, don't just repeat words. Think about what you're saying, but more importantly, why you're saying it. You're giving your life to God, and then look. Everyone else here, we're gonna join in with you, just so it's not weird, just so it's not, just so you don't feel awkward. I want everyone here to join in with those that raised their hand today to receive Christ. Ready, everybody join in after me. Jesus, I give you my life, the good, the bad, and ugly. I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for living the life I could not live and dying the death that I should have died. I receive forgiveness today. I receive your love today. And I declare that today's a new day, that I am new because of what you did. Jesus, thank you. I give you my life. I cross the line of faith and I walk in the new life that you give. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Lifehouse fam, one more time. Let's give it up for the seven, eight hands that went up to receive Christ today. Listen, if you receive Christ today, I beg you, ask you, plead of you. Look, right after service, you're, you're going to walk out these doors here and there's gonna be somebody at the Next Steps booth, okay? Would you do me a huge favor and just stop by there be, before you actually head out? And look, if you would, we're, all we're gonna do is we're gonna give you a Bible and we just want to know who you are so we can come alongside you and help you on this journey, this brand new journey of following Christ. Why? Because you need a family. You need a church family to do, to do life with and come alongside you and help you along this brand new, beautiful, hard, crazy journey of following Christ. But we are the church and we believe we've got each other's backs. Amen? That's what the church is called to do. Okay, so look, please, 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 as you walk out of here, next steps booth, stop by there. Please tell us. We want to celebrate with you and we give you a brand new Bible and just thank God for what he's doing in you. Lifehouse family, we're going to sing worship. We've got about five minutes left. What we're going to do is we're just going to take some time. Whatever business you need to do with God, we're just going to sing, God, build my life. Whatever you need to pray for in this season, maybe you got work stress going on. Maybe you got family stress coming up. You know you're going to be with family that you don't particularly have a huge liking towards this coming holiday season. Maybe you need this to be a season of perspective. You need this to be a season of revelation for you. You need this to be a season of reflection for you. I pray whatever you want God to do in this season, we're going to take this time. I want you to pray and believe that God is going to change your life this Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out 
at www.theaterchurchinning.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.